Big story in the presidential race, Joe Biden's decisive win in South Carolina. The former vice president was expected to do well, but his big victory could reshape the Democratic race moving forward. Glenna is live this morning in Columbia, South Carolina, where Biden gave his first primary victory speech. Glenna, great to see you. What a night. What a night, Janine. Hi, everyone. What a difference a state makes. Boy, this is a first look in the primary season at what the African-American majority electorate results would look like. So Joe Biden now has the money and the momentum and the new messaging going into Super Tuesday, which is in just a couple of days. But there, the calculations change again. South Carolina! My buddy Jim Clyburn, you brought me back. Hard to overstate how critical the South Carolina win is to Joe Biden's campaign. All those you've been knocked down, counted out, left behind, this is your campaign. Just days ago, the press and the pundits have declared this candidacy dead. Now, thanks to all of you, the heart of the Democratic Party, we just won and we've won big because of you. The support he could not muster in Iowa and New Hampshire, he did from South Carolina's majority African-American vote. Our candidate, a real good man. The endorsement and coaching from state Democrats' iconic Congressman James Clyburn. We don't have time for a little question right now. A more managed public messaging. Personal connections with supporters. Biden experience, respect. Lines of early voters and absentees made Biden the projected winner announced seconds after the polls closed and. This campaign is taken off. Gave Biden the game changing spread that keeps frontrunner Bernie Sanders from leaving South Carolina unstoppable. And that will not be the only defeat. There are a lot of states in this country, nobody wins them all. I want to congratulate Joe Biden on his victory tonight. A gracious Bernie Sanders spoke from the Super Tuesday campaign trail in Virginia, apparently unfazed by his distant second place, garnering, as expected, strong support from younger voters. The first casualty of South Carolina. Hey, you guys. Billionaire Tom Steyer dropped out of the race. He spent so $21 million this. plus here, his best showing yet, though not enough to sustain. I will be the first to say that the first four contests haven't gone exactly as I'd hoped. Also leaving South Carolina without delegates, Elizabeth Warren, Amy Klobuchar, and Pete Buttigieg, who soared in Iowa and New Hampshire, he finds here the concerns of his appealing to voters of color well-founded. I am proud of the votes we earned, and I am determined to earn every vote on the road ahead. Even before the results came in last night, most of the candidates had already decamped from South Carolina and headed to various Super Tuesday states on uh, to campaign there for Tuesday. There is a mother load of delegates, a third of delegates available in the country, available on Tuesday. And Mike Bloomberg enters the race. Janine? Yeah, he definitely is the uh, X factor in that one. So, Glenna, South Carolina was an open primary, and you reported on word that there were some Republicans who would vote to sow some chaos to pick a weak Democrat. Was that ever a thing? 
You know, it was not a thing apparently last night. Uh, just for anyone who's not really in deep with South Carolina politics, open primary is so much different than Florida. Any registered voter, no matter what party, can vote in the Democratic primary, including Republicans. And in fact, in Iowa and New Hampshire, we had seen moderate Republicans looking for an alternative go and vote for people like Amy Klobuchar and Pete Buttigieg. Well, here, there was a call, a grassroots effort, not, not an official Republican Party thing at all, but a call to sort of disrupt and have Republicans go in and vote for Bernie Sanders was the word to sort of bolster him going up against Donald Trump. Um, and it's important to say that it was not about disrupting the 2020 election, they say. It was more about showing locally South Carolina officials who all work in that building behind me that they don't want open primaries and they want to change it here. But in the end, last night, there was absolutely no evidence that Bernie Sanders got any kind of lift from rogue Republican votes. Did not look that way. Glennett, Tom Steyer dropped out of the race despite coming in third after spending lots of money. Did you meet any Steyer fans and what did they say? You know, we, we really did. And it's important to note the money thing is huge. $22 million just in this state, which is more than every other candidate put together spent here. But Tom Steyer wasn't really new to a lot of South Carolinians. He had done a lot of work here and a lot of um, a lot of money spent on environmental issues in the past. So he wasn't sort of a flash in the pan to a lot of people paying attention. But he really was banking on this state to give him a little push to go on after after finishing in the low single digits in the past three states. Um, that did not happen. And more significantly, Steyer didn't even reach the 15% threshold. I think he finished at about 11%. And you need 15% at least to even get one delegate. So after all that money and all that work and all that time, and some fans here and supporters for sure, he just didn't even didn't even meet a one delegate threshold and did not see a path to continue. And so shortly after results began coming in last night, he faced his supporters and withdrew. So now there are six. And then in Super Tuesday states on Tuesday, there are seven. Yeah, not even with that dance that he did. Glenna, thank you. We're very, very ready for this, for anything, whether it's going to be a uh, breakout of larger proportions or whether or not we're, uh, you know, we're at that very low level. President Trump tries to minimize fears over a coronavirus outbreak, all while health officials predict more cases are coming to the United States. The White House facing criticism from Democrats, including former Health and Human Services Secretary Donna Shalala, with whom we spoke on Friday. Good morning, Representative Donna Shalala. Thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate your time. Let's talk coronavirus. No known cases right now in Florida but you were the head of HHS for eight years, so you know a couple of things about public health crises. Big picture first, are we ready? Uh, not completely, there's no question about it. We don't have the testing facilities. Um, we don't have a, a, a simple test for the coronavirus that's accurate, but we're getting there. And uh, we got briefed this morning by the leaders of FDA, CDC, NIH, um, and uh, uh, the Public Health Service. Uh, here's what we need to do, though, for Miami-Dade, for Broward, um, and for Palm Beach County, and for the state of Florida. We need to make sure we get resources to their health departments and to the state health department, because they're on the ground. That's the first 
place of defense for all of us because the docs in our community, the nurses, they'll be reporting to their local health departments as to what they see or if they make a diagnosis. Um, uh, the resources are coming. Democrats and Republicans will agree on a package. It will be a down payment. It won't be the two and a half billion that, a billion that uh, the administration asked for. It will be much more. We've already agreed on that. We also, while it's easy to criticize the administration, as far as I can remember, every administration stumbles a little at the beginning. The problem here is the president keeps stepping on the message. He talked too long, and he, he actually said the opposite of what the scientist physician said. So um, someone in the White House needs to tug at his coat and say, put the scientists and physicians in front of you. Let them give the message to the American people so that they can, so all of us can be reassured the people who know what they're doing are, uh, are running this. Right, we read that you actually had a warning to other politicians, don't open your mouth until you know what you are talking about. So talk about that, sort of having scientists take the lead because it's a complicated process to get everything up and running so that people can be safe, but the message is also out there and also to assure that there's enough funding and resources. Exactly. It's resources and funding. It's a clear, consistent, well-organized uh, well message on a daily basis, probably. Uh, but we shouldn't pretend that this isn't going to spread. This may be another uh, flu-like virus, uh, uh, though probably more deadly, that simply cycles through. Uh, we're working on a vaccine, but frankly, they won't have a vaccine ready for a couple of years. Uh, but it's an example of where we, we uh, get together in emergencies and we need this infrastructure in place forever. So we're gonna have to talk about that here in Washington and in Tallahassee on how we can staff up because these diseases, these viruses are gonna keep coming at us and handling it on an emergency basis is not a good idea and it's not reassuring uh, to the American people. You were just talking about testing. Miami-Dade Mayor Carlos Jimenez expressed some concern this week that those uh, testing kits from the CDC have not arrived here in Miami-Dade County. That's slowing down the process. Uh, have you uh, spoken with anybody from the CDC? Is this something that Congress is looking into? It's something that Congress is looking into and asking about. But again, uh, we're reacting as opposed to um, uh, getting out ahead of these uh, viruses as they come down the pike. Uh, but there are things that people in our community can do. I've said to everybody, you know, this is low tech. You, uh, you wash your hands. You make sure surfaces are, uh, uh, are clean. Uh, but in addition to that, everybody in Miami-Dade that hasn't gotten a flu shot um, ought to get one now. And here's why. It's not because the flu shot is going to prevent coronavirus. It's, going, it's because it will keep you out of the emergency room, out of our hospital beds, so that we can have them for situations like the coronavirus. And so if we want to make a com, uh, contribution uh, to our fellow uh, Miamians, our, fellow, uh, our friends and neighbors in South Florida, get a flu shot now so that we're not jamming up. We're in flu season already, so that we're not jamming up uh, uh, the emergency rooms and hospitals and filling all the beds. Um, that's, that's what each one of us can do.
So should the coronavirus spread here in the United States, and we know, of course, there's that one case in Northern California that may be uh, a, a community uh, spread issue. Uh, they're still testing, of course, to see what, what, how that woman contracted uh, the coronavirus. Is there a plan in place for federal workers in D.C. and here in South Florida more sick time or working from home? Because that is a concern, too. You don't want sick people to go to work. Yes, exactly, and, and clear directions will be given out to, uh, to people. This is going to spread. Uh, this is the disease in which people who don't have symptoms, obvious outside symptoms, can spread the disease. So it's much more complicated than uh, simply people um, who already have the symptoms of the flu or, or a cold that may have coronavirus. So we have to be ready for it. And, and for people uh, to stay at home if they feel ill, directions like that will be given out by the health officials in our communities. While you were saying that administrations sometimes are uh, easily, uh, can stumble easily in the beginning of crises like this, and you shouldn't be too quick to criticize, you did uh, criticize Mike Pence along with some of your Democratic colleagues. Uh, he is addressing a conservative group here in Florida as part of a fundraiser. Uh, what is your message? You, you had some harsh words for him uh, today. Well, I. You know, what I said, first of all, Vice President Pence and the president have been anti-science. And so they've got to depend on the experts and not overshoot uh, the situation by expressing their own views. This is not a matter of expressing opinions. This is about keeping to the facts and making sure that these scientists, physicians are the spokespeople. The vice president today announced that that's what he was going to do, that the messages were going to be pulled together. But, you know, they don't have a lot of credibility because the vice president and the president, because they've been so anti-science, so critical of these precise agencies. But we need to pull everybody together. And this is the time in which uh, leave aside whether they funded the CDC and their the budget that they submitted, because we weren't going to do that anyhow. Either Republicans or Democrats weren't going to uh, defund the CDC. We're now going to put the resources in. We have to do everything we can to press them uh, to pull us all together. Congresswoman, let's talk about uh, something that made headlines last week. You were one of the first people to weigh in on Bernie Sanders' remarks on 60 Minutes, saying that Fidel Castro did some good things in Cuba. Let's first listen to what he said. You know what he did? He initiated a major literacy program. There was a lot of, uh, a lot of folks in Cuba at that point who were literate. And he formed the Literacy Brigade. You may read that. He went out and they helped people learn to read and write. You know what? I think te teaching people to read and write is a good thing. And those were his comments on CNN after that 60 Minutes interview. What did you think when you heard that? I was horrified because while uh, they were doing that for propaganda uh, purposes, they were killing people and torturing people and arresting people and denying people free speech and human rights. Um, this is um, a, a terrible thing that a presidential candidate doesn't seem to understand. I had to correct him on Maduro in Venezuela. Um, and um, I hope people are smart enough
um, to understand that it's unacceptable uh, to have a presidential candidate uh, that believes that he can say that there are some good things and some bad things in what is clearly tyrant-led um, countries that have destroyed their economies, their populations, their healthcare systems. Um, the Cuban government traffics doctors, literally, human trafficking of doctors as an income stream. Then, Congresswoman, so can you can is you someone going to say uh, their health care system is great? Can you explain it's not then, great? Uh, um, of, and uh, um, I have nothing good to say about uh, Castro or his successors or what's going on now in Cuba. Then, Congresswoman, can you explain a vote that you missed yesterday that would have allowed action on a resolution yeah. by your colleague Mario Diaz Ballard yeah. uh, that condemns yeah. Sanders' remarks? Uh, you you missed that vote. I I actually co-sponsored the resolution. It wasn't a vote on the resolution. Right, it was it a procedural was, vote. Uh, a vote to allow the Republicans to take over control of the floor to offer amendments to stop us from a vaping bill. Uh, this bill, which we'll vote on today, is a bill to stop uh, the flavors on vaping. A third of our kids now are vaping. I think the question and the criticism it's is, nicotine do you not want to go and on so the record a, criticizing tricky Bernie situation. Sanders? Pardon? The question is, because you missed that vote, is that because you don't want to go on the record criticizing Bernie Sanders, who could eventually be the Absolutely Democratic nominee? Absolutely not. In fact, in fact, when I spoke on the floor, I quoted from that exact resolution, and I'm the co-sponsor of the resolution, and I said to my colleague, who's a very good friend, Mario Diaz-Ballard, introduce this not as a way of stopping us from voting on a vaping bill. Introduce this independently. I'm the co-sponsor with you. We will pass it um, in the House of Representatives. If so Senator Bernie Sanders is the things. nominee, will you support him? Uh, you know what? He's not going to be our nominee. He's just not going to be our nominee, so I'm not worried about it. All right. We'll wrap this up, and we'll uh, talk to you uh, in a couple of months and see where we are then. Congresswoman Donna Shalala, thank you so much for your time. Up next, we're going to take this week's Hot Topics to the Roundtable. Welcome back. I'm Janine Stanwood in for Michael Putney. We have checked in with Glenna Milberg on a campaign trail. There's a lot to get to this Sunday. Big news in the presidential race, a looming health emergency, a big soccer game tonight, and we're talking booze on the beach as well. It's a good thing that we have an expert roundtable. Bernadette Norris Weeks is an attorney in Fort Lauderdale with the law firm of Austin Pamey's Norris Weeks, and she is the founder of Women of Color Empowerment Institute. Dr. Sean Foreman is professor of political science at Barry University. And David Smiley is a veteran reporter for the Miami Herald, now covering the political beat and campaign 2020. There is a lot to get to this morning. Yes, indeed. But let's talk South Carolina. Joe Biden, we sort of expected that he would probably win. But, but Sean, did we think he was going to win this big? Well, for Biden, it was a great night. He won bigger than people were thinking going into this weekend. Uh, you know, there were a, a thousand cuts to the Biden campaign over the past several months, poor debate performances, not raising money enough, other candidates coming in and taking his lane. So this was a huge win for Joe Biden, and it was, uh, I think, convincing in the terms of the percentage. But 
It doesn't really reshape the race. Uh, we have to see what happens on Tuesday, and Biden is going into Tuesday uh, behind Sanders in the key states. You know, the question is always, do endorsements matter? And Bernadette, we were talking about this before. Jim Clyburn is a very popular member of Congress in South Carolina. Do you think his endorsement played a role? It played a huge role. In fact, I don't think that um, uh, uh, Congress, uh, I'm sorry, Vice President Biden, Biden would have done as well as he did without that um, very critical, critical uh, endorsement. Uh, I do think, um, however, uh, manage, the Democratic Party needs to manage expectations with Biden because we have California coming up, huge state. Um, people have been voting for weeks now, and Bernie Sanders was ahead in the polls, and so we have to take all of that into consideration. Same thing with Texas. Um, Sanders was ahead in the polls, and so um, I think that the Biden campaign just needs to, you know, siphon off as much as they can, and, and the ad buys have already been been made. Sure. So Bloomberg has been out there making those ad buys. And so there are, a lot, there are a lot of things to consider there. And we'll talk about Bloomberg in just a second. But going back to uh, Bernie Sanders, you know, we just heard from Donna Shalala. That was an interview that we did, uh, David, on Friday, where she said, nope, don't think that Bernie Sanders is going to be the candidate. Now it looks like that uh, that may be a thing that, uh, you know, he may, Joe Biden may be one step closer to being the candidate. And you've spoken with a lot of the Florida delegation about uh, the possibility of Bernie Sanders is, is, is the guy. Right. That's the convenient talking point at the moment. Bernie Sanders is not going to be the nominee. I don't have to address whether I will or will not support him if he is. Um, that case seems a little more like plausible deniability at this point. But Sanders, as you're talking about, Sanders is probably going to be the delegate leader coming out of Super Tuesday. He's also uh, competing in North Carolina, in Massachusetts, in Utah, in Minnesota. Um, there are 14 states on the ballot and Biden has focused so much on South Carolina that he hasn't really been able to put in the effort or the money in those Super Tuesday states. And Bloomberg, meanwhile, has put in tons of money, but he's still pulling middle of the pack. So um, it'll be interesting to see how things shape up. But Floridians like Donna Shalala should be prepared for Bernie Sanders to still be in the delegate lead coming out of Super Tuesday. You know, Bloomberg talking about money, boy, he has spent a lot of money and he was sort of thinking that he was maybe going to plug that hole in case Biden did not sort of surge. What does he do now? What, is, what does Bloomberg do now? And, and, and is it too late for him? Should he have campaigned in South Carolina? Well, hindsight is 2020 for all these candidates that'd like to go back and have some do-overs. Uh, but, you know, in many ways, I think we are just where we thought we were going to be today. Uh, a month ago, uh, people thought that Joe Biden was going to win South Carolina, even though other candidates won the first three. It was just a matter of by what amount. And Bloomberg didn't compete in those four. His strategy always was to be prepared for Super Tuesday and hope to have a big win in some of these key states. But Bloomberg didn't do well in the polling. I'm sorry, in the debates. And his policies have been unpopular. So again, we're sort of right where we expected to be. And we're in a holding period, I think, yeah. until Tuesday night, Wednesday morning. And then Bloomberg has to decide, do I keep going or do I turn and pivot and support Biden moving forward? Because it seems that mainstream Democrats want to stop Bernie Sanders uh, to the detriment of the, the young people in the base and the party. Well, and 
Bernadette, you and I were talking about this earlier. You know a lot of young people who are Democrats who are like Bernie or nothing. Yeah, there are a lot of young people that I work with through the Institute, and you don't want to dampen their enthusiasm about voting, period. And so as I listen to these young people talk about the election and if Bernie is not the Democratic nominee, you hear them say things like, um, I don't, you know, they would have taken it away from us, you know, that kind of thing. And so it's really, um, uh, the Democrats are going to have to figure out another way to manage this uh, other than saying, um, you know, he just won't be. Because if that happens, it's just going to feed into that narrative that somehow something's been done to prevent him from being the nominee if in fact he is. Right, like it was mm -hmm. taken from him. Yes, that's right. Once again. Right. So, you know, uh, Klobuchar, Buttigieg, they were sort of presenting themselves as the moderates, uh, sort of in contrast to, you know, the Bernies and the Warrens. Do they have a path forward? Doesn't look like it. Um, Pete Buttigieg doesn't seem to be resonating with minority voters at all. Uh, Amy Klobuchar, uh, I thought should have sort of pulled a George Costanza like in Seinfeld after New Hampshire <laughs> and, and just, you know, bowed out right there on top because um, it doesn't seem like she can win the nomination. Uh, but, you know, it's really all about money and, um, and a path forward. And, and if those high, highly paid consultants are telling the candidates that they can still win, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to convince yourself to, right. to get off of the, uh, the, the big screen sure. of national politics. And, and go back to the Senate. Right. Where it's a little more, uh, not as, a little more grim. Uh, by the way, early voting starts in Miami-Dade and uh, Monroe counties Monday. That's right. And then the next week is Broward County. Yeah, so, you know, we're talking about Super Tuesday this Tuesday. Yep. We vote in Florida two weeks from now. Um, but as you just said, people will start voting now. So all this talk about polls and who wins, uh, most people, many people have made up their minds and cast their ballot. And, and so it's hard to catch up with what you do moving forward when people have already But people seem to minds. be holding on to their ballots right now in Florida and in other states where there is early voting. Um, so usually we get to at this point about two-thirds of the vote mm -hmm. is in by the time we get to election day it'll be interesting to see if we hit that point or if people are really waiting to the last minute which if you watch the coverage from other states that have already voted a lot of people remain undecided until mm -hmm. the last minute this race is so fluid right now it is we have to talk about coronavirus for a second because boy that is another big story and that's also a story that has influenced uh, politics as well or we at least it's been politicized on both sides uh, an update from the Donna Shalala interview one death now in the United States and we now know that 15 people were being tested in Florida four under investigation was Florida slow to give us information David uh, yeah they, they were and uh, whether it was due to pressure or the feeling that people needed to be be more informed the governor did decide on Friday to tell his Surgeon General that he needed to release the money the state was previously hiding uh, behind a state law that that they said uh, prevented them from releasing the information the numbers of people being tested or monitored and they changed their minds uh, between Thursday and Friday and I think it's good that we know the numbers because it's better to know that there are 150 people being monitored in Florida than to, you know, invent in your head whether it's uh, 15 or 15,000. So it's, I think it's good that we have the numbers and the state is, they say, are going to release the numbers regularly on the Department of Health website. So hopefully they'll do that. Right. And we're also learning now that the three departments of health, right, Sean, in uh, 
Florida can now test. They don't have to wait for the CDC. Right. The issue was that the test would have to be sent to Atlanta previously. So at least we have some local control over what's happening. But absolutely, information is key, especially when you have the president say at one point that this is a hoax. I think he actually walked that back a little yes. bit. He said what's the hoax was that Democrats were saying that they were cutting money for Which the, for the no CDC. Uh, right. But, you know, we need people to be on the same page. Somebody died in Washington State. That means that they probably had contracted this two to three weeks ago. So other people could be contaminated. More information is better. I have my powerhouse roundtable, and we're discussing a lot of things, including Bernadette coronavirus. And you were saying that you'd like to hear from the experts a little more. Absolutely. I think it's time to hear from the experts more. Um, if you saw the very awkward news conference um, earlier in the week or last week, and the president's just chomping at bits behind the experts speaking about the, um, the health threat. I mean, this issue has become so politicized, and it's unfortunate because it's clear that there is a public health threat out there um, that needs funding, deserves funding, deserves attention. Um, and with um, a climate that we're in where there is rising nationalism, there are um, issues with trade wars, there are, you know, all of these things going on, it makes it more difficult to work with other superpowers to really address this issue adequately. And, um, and we, we need to hear from those people in, um, who have the knowledge and have been working their whole lives to deal with issues like this. Mike Pence, with all due respect, um, you know, he's someone who doesn't think smoking cause, causes death. And so I don't think I want to hear from Mike Pence as the expert on coronavirus. Well, that was one thing that Donna Shalala said to people sort of on both sides of the aisle, just, you know, maybe wait and see what the experts say before you weigh in because you know you may be a politician but you're not a doctor right. uh, you know we were talking about how this affects sports and the shocking thing is seeing those pictures of soccer matches being played in Italy in empty stadiums empty stadiums and you know they they decided to keep the league going that's how important it is to continue on with the business of the sport um, but to play these games in, in big empty stadiums is just frightening to see and that we may be seeing more of that moving forward as this impacts other countries. And David, you tweeted something from a players group uh, talking about the, March Madness. The NCAA Players Association wants there to be a serious discussion about playing March Madness games uh, without audiences, which would be shocking. It, wow. It's a statement to how dis potentially disruptive coronavirus could be, though the federal government says right now everybody is low risk. Um, but I think convention business, sports, travel in general, people are, I think, already freaking out. Of course, they're concerned about the Olympics this summer in Japan. Mm -hmm. yeah. Japan has closed public schools right now because of the virus. Right. There's a lot of concern and still a lot of unknown factors. So we'll wait and see. And this is actually a good tie-in to talk about sports because do you know what's happening tonight? Miami Major League Soccer is finally being played. Can you believe it? Seven years ago, David Beckham came to Miami. Does it feel like seven years, David? Uh, yes and no. Uh, <laughs> is the game being played in Miami? LA. It's LA, LA, right? <laughs> is, the, is it ever going to be played in Miami? Uh, That's I, the I, question. I'm still pretty skeptical. Um, if I had to put money on getting a deal worked out with the city of Miami government or not getting it worked out, I would bet on not getting it worked out. Because there's still a lease agreement that has yeah, to be. Yeah, they have to negotiate a lease agreement. They have not broken ground yet. And the Miami's government is kind of a disaster right now. So uh, they have a new administrator. Maybe that'll help. But uh, right. I wouldn't, I still wouldn't I put my money on it. I a pretty sharp guy. I think he'll be able to navigate through some of those issues, hopefully. We were talking about mm -hmm. uh, Broward County, Bernadette. That's sort of where, where you are. And at least for right now, that's where the, the games will be played um, in Broward County. Do you think fans will flock in, in droves to... I, I, I 
don't know about droves, but I think fans will come. I think it's exciting, the idea that um, it will take place there. I'm not a soccer fan personally, but I have a lot of friends who are, and you have a lot of, you know, large Hispanic community um, out west. You have a large Caribbean community. This is what uh, they know and they're used to, and, and I think it's going to be welcomed in Broward. So come on, David Beckham, come to Broward. <laughs> yeah, but I think this is the question is uh, how, how long people will show up. I, of course, they'll go to the first few games. It's new. It's exciting. There are a bunch of soccer fans down here, but you know, people want winners, especially in Miami. We're sure. a town that likes winners. So if they're not winning, they probably won't get much support. And there's a lot of other competition. So I think it's, it's you know, and, and we've had professional soccer in Miami and South Florida before, which has not succeeded. So this is a big test for Beckham and his investors. Well, you know, and it's been a big test in the last couple of years anyway, the, the, the partnership between teams and municipalities and stadium deals and I think people are so turned off by the Miami Marlins and the ballpark deal that I think every side wants to be super careful. Yeah, I think that's starting to fade a little bit. They don't have the same, they don't have to deal with the toxicity uh, issue because they're not getting government subsidies right. um, and I don't think people in Fort Lauderdale have the same visceral reaction to stadium deals that people in Miami still have but but even then um it's not like people grab the pitchforks when miami-dade county worked out its recent agreement with uh with the dolphins which helped fund the renovations sure um that stephen ross the dolphins owner mostly paid for so that seems to be waning a little bit but but good for beckham's ownership group that uh they don't have to have that sort of hanging over their heads so they play in la who do they play against the LA Galaxy, oh, which actually was Beckham's was, team. Yeah. That's how he got to the United States. That was the hook to get the Miami team. I have to say, I was looking to see if it was going to be on television later, and it was not listed in my guide, not even the Miami team yet. Mm. So we need to get up to speed with the league if we're going to get fans in the local area. Right. So we'll, we'll take it however we can get it. So <laughs> Okay. And uh, apologies to any soccer fans playing along at home. I guess we've learned that it's the uh, LAFC uh, playing the Miami team tonight. So. <laughs> Can't tell the teams without a roster. Right. Now we know. There you go. Now we know. Now you got to watch. Uh, let's talk about South Beach. Miami commissioners this week voted 5-2 to two to roll back last call from 5 a.m. to 3 a.m. in some parts of the entertainment district, Ocean Drive, Washington Avenue, Collins Avenue, uh, in an effort to curb some of the spring break brouhaha that happened last year. Um, I feel like, David, I, I know that you and your colleagues at the Miami Herald have covered this feels almost sort of like a repeat of last year. Right. Well, I mean, uh, when I was covering Miami Beach government 10 years ago, we were dealing with these issues. And I think it's a product of the beach becoming more of a residential community and also a product of 13 percent uh, voter turnout elections in which super voters really have a lot of sway with the politicians. So though a referendum to uh, stop liquor sales at 2 a.m. Mm -hmm. uh, failed pretty overwhelmingly, Those, overwhelmingly that, a couple years ago. Or uh, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. Um, you know, they're, they're back and they're, they're pushing it again. And, and uh, um, you know, I, I can't say I'm surprised. I mean, this has been an effort that's been a long time coming. Right, and I think it was Memorial Day weekend that we would talk about before, but now the spring breakers are coming. And we were talking about this, Bernadette. You know, business owners say, whoa, hold on a second. These fights and brawls aren't happening in our establishments. They're happening outside, different times. It's going to hurt our workers. But we also heard from the police chief who said, our officers are tired. They're working 12 on, 12 off for this entire month of March. We need a break. 
Well, the offices would have been working no matter what, and that's one of the things that the business owners were complaining about. Uh, the business owners, obviously, they want to protect their workers. Um, these are, and then um, the question is whether this is really too little, too late, because the crime statistics don't show that the crimes were happening that they're concerned about between the hours of 3 and 5 a.m. Um, additionally, you have other issues where um, the, uh, the, business, the business community has planned their budgets around this this activity and and the hotels are full um, so Miami Beach has advertised itself as being a, a place where it come and this is what you can expect because that's what you could expect in the past and now people are coming um, and they're going to um, you know either lose money and those folks are just gonna go somewhere else I mean it's not like they're not gonna hang out they're either gonna be in the street or they're gonna be in other businesses that are not um, banned by this ordinance but you know unfortunately mm -hmm. a handful of those videos that sort of went viral last year, they were an embarrassing for the city because it showed these fights and it was not good for the Miami Beach brand. Videos like these and the police chief and some of the residents have said, well, we have to do something instead of nothing. Yeah, why about more police? <laughs> what about that as an option as opposed to well, I know, think a lot of them something in place sure. that may or may not be uh, solve the issue? It's a hard balance because it's a city that has to cater to tourists and residents and business owners. And Miami Beach, Sean, is such a such a unique um, small city. I mean, really, it's 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 a you know, it's a kind of a city that gets so much attention, but really it's a small place. And, you know, those kind of 10, 15 blocks, that's where all the yeah. action happens. Yeah, you said it. it's a tough balance, especially as they bring more residential areas. Uh, you know, I lived on the beach for, for 10 years, and it's nice to be able to walk to those areas and have late-night entertainment, but also there's the trade-off of the uh, threats to public safety and the, and the uh, congestion. But, you know, some of those images we saw there were happening during daylight, so I'm not sure what changing the hour in the, in the morning that alcohol is sold is going to make a difference. Uh, as was yeah. noted, a lot of the problems are separate from what's happening in the, in the strip from 3 to 5 a.m. Well, the new um, uh, revised sort of uh, ordinance will start on March 13th, I believe, and it will go for six days. So we'll. And that's the other see thing. You know, this is odd to do it right now, right mm -hmm. before the season yeah. coming in one week. Why not the whole month? Right. Uh, so probably uh, not the right way to roll this out. It's not the right way at all. And some of the images that you saw, they don't just take place just that time of year or, or concerning particular people. There are things that take place all, so they have a comprehensive plan that they really need to look at in terms of studying and trying to solve. Um, this was just really a knee-jerk uh, reaction to um, something that's really not going to do very much to solve the issue. And those people are just going to go to, um, uh, when I say those people, the people who are coming, if they keep uh, putting in place things like this, folks are going to leave those um, business establishments and visit other places throughout the community and support those businesses in other places. We want to move on right now and talk about uh, another story that made headlines. A very popular mayor uh, in Wilton Manors, Justin Flippin, he was on his way to a city commission meeting on Tuesday, but he never made it. Uh, the 41-year-old mayor died of a brain aneurysm. and. You know, in my years covering South Florida politics, I can't remember, David, if there's been a time um, that we've seen, you know, a mayor die suddenly in the middle of office. Um, and, and there's been such an outpouring in Milton Manors. Yeah, I can't think of a, a similar instance in terms of natural circumstances um, uh, since, since I've been covering politics down here. So certainly unusual. And we were talking about uh, Bernadette. It's, it's, you know, kind of makes you 
want to hug your relatives a little tighter. Oh, yeah, that, especially with this being an issue or a, a, um, something that can happen suddenly. It's a silent killer. Um, who knows, you know, to expect something like this. Um, but in terms of the man, um, you know, I, I read something about him not long ago uh, where he uh, had a lot of struggles in his life with um, undergoing conversion therapy and all of those things. And I can only imagine that he was a real beacon of light for people who wanted to live an authentic life. And, um, and, um, and so uh, he's deserving of a great tribute. And we also have memorial details right now uh, for him. The uh, memorial service is actually happening March 6th from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. at the venue, Fort Lauderdale, 2345 Wilton Drive. Uh, a lot of people wanting to come out to pay their respects.